Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Compliance Reality, where we discuss the reality of enforcement and compliance programs today. Today's topic is doctors and drug money. And I'm not referring to the type of drug money that is, you know, street drugs and drugs crossing the border. I'm talking about pharmaceuticals and pharmaceutical manufacturers and the influence that their money can have on doctors and other prescribers. And we're going to also talk about how you as a compliance professional can monitor physician compliance. My name is Dr. C.J. Wolf, and I have over 22 years of full-time professional compliance experience. I left clinical medicine a long, long time ago and have been loving working in compliance full-time um, for over 22 years. I've worked for organizations such as Intermountain Healthcare, University of Texas System, MD Anderson Cancer Center, as well as an international medical device company, publicly traded. Uh, I also hold university faculty appointments where I teach, and I spend a lot of time as a private consultant, both for compliance and coding, as well as I provide a lot of training. And if you might be uh, needing that kind of work, I hope you'd keep me in mind. You can reach me at the email address at the bottom of the slide, info at compliancereality.com. You can also see on the slide uh, some of my certifications. I'm a certified professional coder and an outpatient coder as well. And I have multiple healthcare compliance certifications as well as general compliance and ethics professional certification and privacy and research. I'd like to start today by sharing some cases, some settlements or enforcement that is happening today. This press release comes from October 15th, 2021. It's a California physician, an anesthesiologist to be precise, who pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 14 months in federal prison for receiving almost $800,000 in bribes and kickbacks to write prescriptions. In this particular scenario, it was not a drug manufacturer per se. It was a compound pharmacy where, you know, unique, specific, uh, Pharmaceuticals are, are compounded and, and, and put together uh, for patients that, that have special needs. Uh, and in this particular case, the, the pharmacy uh, marketer uh, provided pre-printed prescription pads for these compounded drugs and offered the physician kickbacks and bribes for each prescription he wrote. You can see at the bottom of the slide as well a link to the press release if you're wanting to find some more information about this. But I wanted to share this one because it is an example of how things can go wrong, how physicians can be influenced by money, and how that money can influence their prescribing patterns. And that is not necessarily in the best um, interest of patients. Now, on the next slide, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, an aspect of a larger story, and I'll share the larger story in a moment. This is one of the more recent settlements, or I guess I should say enforcement uh, actions against a sales representative from a manufacturer, and the name of the manufacturer is Insys Therapeutics. This uh, former sales rep uh, pleaded guilty to conspiracy and uh participation in this medical kickback scheme. Now, the allegations here were that the, the pharmaceutical manufacturer, Insys Therapeutics, was creating a sham speaker program for their drug Subsys. Subsys is a sublingual fentanyl spray 
So it's a drug that's often used for breakthrough cancer pain, a very strong drug. And uh, it was alleged that the manufacturer created this sham speaker program to funnel money to influence prescriptions of the drug, either to get doctors to start prescribing or to get doctors to increase their volume of, of prescriptions for this particular drug, and that the, the speaker program wasn't a valid educational speaker program, but it was just a way to, to give them money uh, for doing for writing prescriptions uh, for this drug. Now, I've listed here it takes two to tango because this is an interesting case. The It starts off with the sales rep uh, pleading guilty. And, you know, when there's one person willing to give or offer a bribe or a kickback, there's usually another party who's either asking for it or willing to accept it. And that's the the concept of it takes two to tango. And so in this scenario, the physician actually also pleaded guilty to accepting kickbacks. And uh, that's, you know, an example of where um, it, it involves more than one, one party. Now, after I tell some more about this particular story, we're going to focus in on this particular phys- physician who pleaded guilty. And I'm going to show you some tools that exist to maybe that you could use that maybe would uh, hint at uh, some improprieties, or at least give you some direction where to look further uh, in this kind of scenario. But let me take a step back and tell you a little bit more about this particular story, because it starts a few years prior to that settlement or that uh, sales rep pleading guilty. Um, this list is not all-inclusive. There are many other doctors and many other people involved, but I just wanted to hit some of the highlights that I found of additional examples of this uh, enforcement around the drug subsis. So all of the things listed on this slide have to do with the drug subsis and the manufacturer insist therapeutics. One of the earliest um, headlines that I could find was from December of 2018 when it was a New Hampshire physician assistant was found guilty of insists uh, of, of the kickback scheme uh, involving insists and this was a federal jury that found him guilty so this goes to show that it's not just doctors it also are other people who are prescribers and i believe this particular physician assistant became the number one prescriber in the region and um and part of that had to do with the fact that uh, he was taking kickbacks in April of 2019, the vice president of sales for Insys Therapeutics pleaded guilty and agreed to forfeit almost $10 million. In May, the founder of Insys Therapeutics was found guilty. In June, a few things happened. You can see here, Insys Therapeutics as a company reached a deal to pay $225 million to the, to the government um, to resolve allegations of False Claims Act and, and these kickbacks. Also in June, a Manhattan doctor pleaded guilty to accepting bribes and kickbacks associated with this quote-unquote sham or alleged sham speaker program. Also in June, a New Jersey and Pennsylvania doctor were indicted. In November of that year of 2019, a Connecticut advanced practice registered nurse was sentenced. So again, not just doctors, physician assistants, but APRN. In January of 2020, another, a different Manhattan doctor was sentenced to nearly five years for his participation in this uh, scheme. In January of 2020, a former, a different vice president from INSYS was sentenced to up to 33 months. So they really went after uh, not just the, 
the company, which we often see in headlines, but they also went after individuals, executives, uh, employees of the of the manufacturer, as well as different provider types. You can see that in September of 2020, a Scranton, Pennsylvania doctor was charged with accepting kickbacks. And December of 2020, a drug company manager was sentenced. And then in June of 2021, another New York City doctor was sentenced to five years. What's interesting is, uh, if I, if you read through all the court documents which I've done on a lot of these, you you can see other allegations. Now, one of the allegations was that one of these doctors' girlfriend, who later became his wife, was given a job at Insys Therapeutics, and she received bonuses based off of the volume of prescriptions written prescriptions written by the doctors in her area. One of those doctors being her husband. Um, other scenarios include uh, events, these sham speaker events taking place at strip clubs or in sporting uh, venues where it's not really possible, really, to have a very educational event ab- about a drug. Um, and uh, so all those sorts of things uh, were, were allegedly going on. It takes it takes the flavor of a kickback or uh, or a, a bribe is not always a cash full uh, an envelope full of cash that is handed off you know in the dark of an alleyway all right it it's often things out in the open that people justify or rationalize and say no you know this is just a gift it's just this it's just that and it actually influences the prescribing patterns So what could you as a compliance professional potentially use to help you, you know, track or or maybe, you know, investigate a little bit? Well, there's data out there. The CMS open payments data um, is data that industry, and when I say industry, I mean pharmaceutical manufacturers, medical device companies, GPOs, which are group purchasing organizations. By law, these entities are required to track and report any transfer of value. And transfer of value means uh, payments. It might be, you know, a lot of these are legitimate payments for research, payments for other things. But if the payments for all of those things have uh, strings attached, then you can run in, into problems. Consulting services, uh, lodging, travel, meals, any transfer of value, you know, a, a pen with their logo, a, a, a coffee mug, uh, these things have to be tracked. And if they reach a certain threshold, they have to be reported to the government on an annual basis. And this is all published here. Anyone can search. You can search for an individual doctor. You can search for your own personal physician and see what payments he or she has taken. Um, You can also download the data sets in in larger format and you can filter. So let's say you're a compliance officer and you have uh, doctors all throughout one state. You might be able to download that data, filter by state, and then go through and and find the doctors that you're involved with in your organization. So what I did for the scenario of the doctor who um, was taking bribes and kickbacks and pleaded guilty a few slides ago, I took that doctor's name and I did some searches. And so I'm going to show you in the context of the story of Insys Therapeutics and the drug Subsys what this one doctor's data shows. And, you know, it may be something that you could have 
somebody could have proactively been monitoring. So I'm going to show you three different years. The first will be 2014 calendar year open payments data for just this one doctor. And it's even a limited amount. I had to do a screenshot and, and kind of limit the amount of information I'm showing you. But what I've put into red uh, boxes there is I'm showing you that in 2014, INSYS made 31 payments to this one doctor, totaling $8,700. And that you can see that there's this category called, uh, on the lower left, compensation for services other than, the rest of it's cut off, but it's other than consulting. And it includes speaking at venues that are not CME approved or continuing medical education improved. And, and when those when they're speaking events that are approved for CMEs, there's typically processes in place to eliminate conflicts of interest and those sorts of things, though that doesn't always happen either. You can also see in the lower left the other kinds of natures of payments, uh, these payments for food and beverage, travel, lodging, etc. But the ones that I wanted to focus on for this one doctor are these compensation for services other than consulting, which includes being a speaker at certain venues that are not uh, continuing medical education approved. Now let me show you, we go from 2014 to 2015 on this next slide, and you can see the amount of payments really jumped. Uh, INSYS Therapeutics paid 150 times for a total of $61,000 just for this one doctor. And you can see on the lower left that the compensation for services other than consulting is almost all of that. It's $60,000. And so, again, there may be some legitimacy in some of these numbers, but you have to you have to start to think and question and dig deeper. And that's what the investigators did. And they found out that his prescribing patterns really went up when he started getting payments uh, for, for the uh, speaker program. And then in 2016, it starts to diminish a little bit. Uh, INSYS had 41 payments, a total of $7,000. And in the lower left, the compensation for services other than consulting was uh, 21000 And obviously, other companies were paying him in that same category. You can also see some other payments, consulting fees, food and beverage, travel and lodging. And we're going to share some other scenarios where even those items can get you into trouble. If the intent is to um, you know, increase... Um, uh, referrals or to keep business, retain business, or to if there's one purpose. So when it comes to the anti-kickback statute, there's there's a, a ruling called the one purpose rule. So if 99% of the relationship is legitimate, but if only one purpose is to illegally induce these referrals or to keep business, then, then it uh, violates the anti-kickback statute. So on some of those payments, if you click on those links, you can even drill down deeper and you can find out what product was that payment associated with. And so I did that. And this is the screenshot from, from that. Uh, one of those payments did have to do with subsis. And as I clicked through a bunch of them, a lot of them had to do with subsis, so, which is this fentanyl uh, spray uh, that we, we talked about in, this, in the uh, press release. So this is an area where you could drill down deeper uh, in travel and lodging. You can drill down and find out where they went. So if if a provider went to, I don't know, went to Hawaiian Islands for some speaking event, um, there may be some legitimacy there, but you got to start questioning when there's lots of extravagant travel to exotic places and those sorts of things. So much concern 
existed for these uh, speaker programs that the Office of the Inspector General for Health and Human Services, or the OIG, issued a special fraud alert uh, in 2020. And they don't issue special fraud alerts very often. There's just a handful of them. So when they do, you really ought to pay attention. And one of the things that they said in the opening of this special fraud alert was that Quote, in the last three years, drug and device companies have reported paying nearly $2 billion to healthcare professionals, or HCPs, for speaker-related services. So that amount, that $2 billion amount, does not include travel, food, consulting, research payments. Um, this is just for paying them for speaker-related services. And I think a lot of companies in industry have a hard time speaking out of both sides of their mouth on this because if they say, oh, these payments don't really influence anything, if they say that to the regulators, then they also have to realize they have shareholders and a board, a fiduciary board often in publicly traded companies that say, well, if these payments don't result in anything, why are you spending so much money on something that results in nothing? And so, of course, uh, they'd have to say, well, yeah, it really does result. It really does improve uh, sales and yada, yada, yada. And so it, it's kind of hard to speak out of both sides of your mouth on that one. Um, and I, I think most people would agree that uh, and probably even in, behind closed doors, uh, industry would say, yes, th- these payments do have an effect. That's why they pay so much money to influence. And so uh, you got to be careful here. Um, The OIG also said with their fraud alert that they are very skeptical about the educational value of such programs. Their investigations revealed that often HCPs receive generous compensation to speak at programs offered under circumstances that are not conducive to learning or to speak to audience members who have no legitimate reason to attend. That would be a, a, a red flag and a concern. And on this next slide here, I have some other red flags that the special fraud alert uh, highlights. They they say these things might need to give you pause and, and cause of, of potential concern and maybe investigate further. First, does the company sponsor speaker programs where little or no substantive information is actually presented? So, for example, a doctor gets up and says, uh, I prescribe this drug. It's good. It's safe. You should prescribe it too. All right, let's get to the steak dinner and let's get to the entertainment. Um, you know, where there's very little or no substantive information actually presented, that could be a red flag. If alcohol is available or if the meal exceeds modest value, and the OIG also said if alcohol is free, that even heightens the concern. Next, the program is held at a location that's not conducive to the exchange of educational information. So if you're in a sporting venue uh, in, you know, in the corporate box or the corporate suite, uh, it's kind of hard to be teaching uh, in that kind of environment. Most restaurants are not conducive um, to uh, the exchange of educational information. Some can be, but you just got to be thinking through that. A golf course, a fishing trip, you know, what, what's going on and is it really true? truthfully educational information being shared. The company sponsors a large number of programs on the same or substantially the same topic or product, especially in situations where involving no recent substantive changes in relevant information. So nothing has really changed about the product and all of a sudden you're you're increasing the, the number of speaking engagements. 
Uh, or, and very similar to that, is there has been a significant period of time with no new medical or scientific information, nor a new FDA-approved or cleared indication for the product. So, you know, one might be able to justify some education if there's a new research that comes out that's significantly different, right? If it's just showing the same, you know, why why all the the emphasis? Um, if no new indication for the drug or the or the product is um, approved, why this, you know, newfound interest in all the education if the drug's been around for a few years and nothing has really changed. The next red flag is HCPs, healthcare professionals, attend programs on the same or substantially the same topics more than once. So if, if an HCP is attending, you know, six times in a year on the exact same thing, is that more really just to get the free meal and to get the free entertainment and those sorts of things if the same topic is not really changing much? Or they say as a repeat attendee or as an attendee after they were a speaker on the same or substantially the same topic. The other red flags listed here, attendees include individuals who don't have a legitimate business reason to attend. For example, friends, a spouse, significant others, family members. Um, you know, staff, if, if the staff can't be prescribing, why are they included in all of this? Um, they also say uh, staff of facilities for which the speaker is a medical director or other individuals with no use for the information. That would be a red flag. Next, a red flag, the company's sales or marketing business units influence the selection of the speakers or the company selects HCP speakers or attendees based on past or expected revenue that the speakers or attendees have or will generate. So again, this kind of return on investment analysis is is of concern or red flag. And lastly, the company pays HCP speakers more than fair market value for the speaking service. Or they pay compensation that takes into account the volume of, of, or value of past or present or future business. So those are all things to, to be these red flags uh, identified in the OIG uh, fraud alert. So I wanted to share this next enforcement, which was a physician assistant who agreed to pay $25,000 to resolve allegations of receiving kickbacks from a pharmaceutical company. This is a different company. We've left the Insys Therapeutics and the Subsys drug. We're now talking about Aqua Aqua Pharmaceuticals and a PA who was incentivized to prescribe dermatology drugs. And what's interesting here is, as I read the court documents, uh, the alleged kickbacks were varied. They were all over the place. Uh, Improper in-office and out-of-office meals and food items, gift cards and gifts, speaking engagements, advisory boards, consulting services. One example that really stuck out was uh, it was alleged that the physician assistant told the sales rep that they needed uh, the company to pay for catering uh, for a child's christening that was taking place over the weekend. And because it was on the weekend, uh, they wanted it to look like a legitimate you know, business expense during the week. So they had the, the, sa- the sales rep pay you know, with a, a weekday uh, date as opposed to the weekend date. Uh, additionally, it was alleged that the, the PA demanded gift cards for certain, for specific types of stores so that she could buy gifts for family members at those stores around the holiday time. And so uh, lots of different ways that this can go awry. Now, um, what does the clinical research show? So 
these last few slides talk about, you know, if you have to do some training and you're trying to train doctors and, and healthcare providers, a lot of them pay attention to medically uh, peer-reviewed literature. So I'm going to share with you three uh, journal articles that all basically come up with the same conclusion that these influences uh, are real and that it, it could be a conflict of interest because the doctors are not uh, thinking of the patient and their best interests first. This first study is actually a review of multiple studies, and uh, it's titled, Are Financial Payments from the Pharmaceutical Industry Associated with Physician Prescribing? A systematic Review. This is from the Annals of Internal Medicine, March of 2021, and they looked at a lot of studies in the literature and tried to come up with some systematic uh, summary statements. They looked at 36 studies comprising 101 different analyses. Most of the studies identified a positive association between payments and prescribing in all the analyses. The remainder had a mix of positive and null findings, and they make a note that no study had only null findings. So of the 101 individual analyses that they looked at, 89 identified a positive association between this uh, financial payments or transfers of value. Again, it's not always money. It could be something of value um, and this um, increased prescribing patterns. They concluded by saying the association between industry payments and physician prescribing was consistent across all studies that have evaluated this association. Findings regarding a temporal association and dose response suggest a causal relationship. So again, it's hard to prove cause uh, in almost anything, but um, these are very strong relationships, uh, and the, the, the research showed that. The second study that I'll share is from BMJ, British Medical Journal, but they looked at um, regional prescribing patterns in the United States, and they used Medicare Part D data. Which, remember, Medicare Part D is the drug benefit for beneficiaries. They used that data. The title of their study was Association Between Payments from Manufacturers of Pharmaceuticals to Physicians and Regional Prescribing. They concluded that payments by the manufacturers of pharmaceuticals to physicians were associated with greater regional prescribing of marketed drugs. Payments to specialists and payments for speaker and consulting fees were predominantly associated with greater regional prescribing of marketed drugs than payments to non-specialists or payments for food and beverages, gifts, or educational materials. So they found a greater influence when it was speaker and consulting fees. And the third uh, study comes from the journal Chest, uh, a little older, 1990s, uh, titled The Effects of Pharmaceutical Firm Enticements on Physician Prescribing Patterns. There's no such thing as a free lunch. I thought that was an interesting title. Uh, here are some of their conclusions. We have demonstrated that one elaborate promotional technique the so-called expense-paid, all-expense-paid seminar at a resort was associated with a significant increase in the, in the prescribing of the promoted drugs at one institution. This change occurred in spite of the physician's belief that such inducements would not affect their prescribing patterns. So even though the doctors are, feel like they're above it and that it doesn't influence them, this study actually showed that even in spite of that belief, it did influence they go on to say the temporal relationship to the expense paid seminar is difficult to ignore and the two to three fold increase in prescribed units is impressive. So they found a two to three fold increase in prescription of, of a certain uh, drug. So more of that drug. 
Uh, and then they conclude with the results of this study raise serious questions about conflicts of interest and the ethics of physician pharmaceutical firm relationships. So in conclusion, we've we've covered uh, some enforcement cases where healthcare professionals were were um, found either found guilty or they confessed and pleaded guilty uh, or they had monetary fines and penalties or all of the above. We talked about how you as a compliance professional could use open payments data to potentially screen and, and identify issues that might be of concern. Then we talked about the special fraud alert by the OIG and those red flags, and we concluded with medical uh, literature, peer-reviewed literature of studies that suggest that these influences and relationships are real. So if you have any questions, I'd love to hear them. Please reach out to me at info at compliancereality.com. Uh, or if you have topics or other suggestions for, for topics for future episodes, I would love to hear those uh, and would love to provide information that uh, is going to help you uh, meet these compliance realities that we all face uh, on a daily basis as compliance professionals. Thanks for listening.